Hello and welcome to East General Broadcast, the podcast by the East of England Ambulance Service. My name's Jordan. This is quite a bumper episode, so we're just going to dive straight into it. I really hope you enjoy. Thank you both so much for taking the time to join us today. I, I really appreciate it. Um, I wonder if you can both start off by just giving us a little bit of information about you. Rose, could you start, please? Okay. So my name is Rose and I'm consultant midwife for the Eastern North Hearts Trust, which is based in Lister. Amazing. Thank you so much. And Damo. Yeah, my name's Damon. I'm a clinical lead uh, with the East of England Ambulance Service. And uh, one of my um, portfolio elements is maternity. So I'm really excited to be able to have this chat with Rose around all things maternity today. And I I want to echo sort of what a lot of our colleagues have been saying. Um, when we started this podcast, one of the big things that they wanted to talk about was maternity issues. I think it's it's one of those jobs that people are either really excited for because it's new life and isn't it just the most glorious thing ever but also it can be quite catastrophically horrible and go wrong and there's a lot that's out of people's control so there, there are some things that I think definitely we want to look at but Damo I want to I want to start with you if I can um, maternity jobs in the field as it were in a sort of ambulance setting what's what's the sort of challenges with them what what do we sort of find as an ambulance service are are the sort of things that we maybe don't see or or the things that we just find difficult because we're out in the field yeah i think i think you've hit the word on the head by the word challenging um they can be very very challenging i think i think it does cause a lot of anxiety with with some of our staff members and i think that that's for a number of reasons. I think some of it's around training and education. I think the fact is that we also have, you know, you're dealing with two patients rather than just one. Normally we just deal with one at a time. We're going into situations that are perhaps unknown to us. We don't know the patient. Um, there are complications of birth, which we're going to talk about today. But fortunately, Touchwood, most of the, the births we go to um, go reasonably well. But there's also that, that added um, extra of around you've got families on scene that are, as well. So you've got you've got fathers or uh, partners or um, that also are a heightened anxiety as well. So I think from our staff's point of view, one of the words I can guarantee you they will ask for as soon as they know they've got a maternity job will be, is there a midwife on route? <laughs> because to us, that is our saviour. So we will always ask for a midwife. Uh, definitely. And again, the amount of times that I've heard people, the first thing they do is ask for the midwife because then there's someone who does this as their, their day job, as their bread and butter. You know, they, they know the ins and outs of it. Rose, what's the sort of typical, this is going to sound a bit daft, what's the typical process for a birth? What do, what do people, what should people expect? You know, there might be some people listening who have never experienced it or never seen a birth. So what are the kind of typical things that people might expect to see in a air quote normal birth? So in a normal birth, <clears throat> I think we tend to get kind of hung up about who's going to deliver the baby and who's going to do this. And in truth, most babies just deliver themselves. And the issue isn't really about delivering the baby, because if the babies come in, the babies come in. I think the issue is in those very rare occasions where things don't go entirely as planned, that it causes anxiety. And that's what you know we're trying to avoid by providing reassurance that actually most babies will deliver themselves. And the reason that the ambulance are called 
usually is because it's happening quicker than anyone expected. You know, it's not often that a mum would choose to give birth in the back of an ambulance. She's often trying to get to hospital because she knows it's happening. So I think just to try and reassure people that babies deliver themselves really in in the most for the most part. I think as well, Jordan, is that you know um, within the trust, I, I was talking to Rose earlier around some of the innovations that we've done in the last year. You know, we've we've really tried to push some of them these innovations within the trust. So, for instance, we've produced the maternity action card, which actually Ro- Rose was able to give us some feedback on as well. We we socialised that with the midwives, and we've had some good feedback on that. So, so that maternity action card should be uh, attached to the maternity pack on on all uh, ambulances as well. We've we've issued the JR Calc emergency birth in the community booklet as well to all staff. Uh, we bought in TXA and mitoprostol for the use of postpartum hemorrhage. This year's essential care skills has a session on postpartum hemorrhage and the, the recognition and management. And we've participated uh, in the pre-hospital prompt course for our clinicians facilitated by the University of Bedfordshire. We've rewritten our maternity session for new starters as well. And we're just about, I'm really excited, we're just about to launch this, uh, the new innovation uh, around cuddle pockets. And these are for the use in stillborn and miscarried babies, which I know that you've, you've helped with some of that work on that, Jordan, as well. So that's going to be really positive along with some bereavement leaflets that staff can use. We've just about to launch a maternity sur- a survey for patient experience as well. And also, we, we're also contributing to a piece of research for maternity. It's going to feed into a, a national work stream. So, so as an organisation, we have sort of had some innovation in the last year. But, you know, the fact that we've got Rose as this expert today to be able to have a chat about maternity is, is super exciting. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And and as a lay person as well, it's really interesting to hear from other people who who are experts in their in their field. But again, also as a lay person, I, I can't ask all of the correct questions. So Damo, luckily you're here as a as my wingman to <laughs> key points and questions that people have asked us, haven't you? I will chime in at points when okay. I feel like I can maybe contribute. So whilst we're doing this uh, by the power of podcasts, obviously we have no no visual elements to demonstrate. But um, I was just wondering, Rose, is, you know, we, we touched upon what, you know, what could go wrong and we, we will go over that. But are you able just to talk us through a normal birth, the stages of labour and just what, you know, for, for clinicians? We've we've got a whole range of clinicians within the, the workforce from paramedic down to other skill sets with, that have different scopes of practice. So uh, perhaps you could just broadly discuss the, the normal stages of labour. Yeah, so... Usually we talk about three stages of labour. The first stage of labour, which is something that you guys are probably rarely going to have much input in, kind of the beginning of labour, getting to the four centimetres dilated, so cervix is beginning to open. Second stage of labour, which is contractions start to become much more frequent. They start to become stronger, closer together. It's at that stage where the baby actually will deliver. Mum starts to get urges to push. Baby will deliver. And then once the baby's out, third stage of labour is about delivering the placenta and minimisation of any bleeding afterwards. So it's probably the second and third stages that we're really going to be concerned about today, because obviously that's the that's the important part. That's the crux of the matter. Yeah, sure. So, so let's just talk a little bit more in depth about that second stage of labour then. So so obviously we get called mum's having contractions. What should, what should we be looking out for? What are what should we be doing? So things like whether her waters have gone. Yeah. And if they have, what colour are they? So ideally, they're going to be clear. 
If they're not clear and they're brown, that means that baby's opened its valves inside. That causes a, a bit more concern. It's a bit more concerning because anything that's obviously inhaled into the baby's lungs and the baby breathes inside has the risk to cause a pneumonia, an infection. Okay. So we're looking for contractions that become much closer together where mum actually then starts to complain of heaviness, of an urge to push, and actually may even start pushing involuntarily. So that's kind of at the point where it's probably no longer safe to try to transfer at that point, because particularly for a mum who's having a second or subsequent baby, at that point you would be thinking birth is imminent. If it was someone having their first baby, probably not quite so concerning because there's a lot more that for those mums that, that would need to happen. But in someone who is having their second and subsequent labours, you would be concerned that at that point, birth was probably imminent. Okay, so so at that point, obviously, if we haven't already called a midwife, that's that's the point. If we, we, we're preparing to deliver at home, that's when we're really thinking about we actually need some support here. OK, just just talk to me about the, the position that you want the woman in if, she, if she's starting to crown um, what you're looking for for crowning, that type of thing. So ideally, mums would be on all fours because at that point she's got much more control over pushing and baby's just in a much better position you're much less, less likely to have issues like shoulder dystocia um, where the baby gets stuck so particularly if you've got a breach ideally you'd want mum in an upright position on all fours if possible so so not supine on the back that you sometimes see in films and so on and so forth we want we want them in a in a much better position we to be able to facilitate that delivery we do. And the other reason for not wanting them supine is because mums in supine position causes, can cause a hypertension for the mum. That has an impact on the baby's heart rate. And obviously what the, the last thing we want to be doing is encouraging a baby to be delivered with that, that's not in the optimal condition. Okay. So, so either on all fours or a, a position that's comfortable for mum, but not supine on, yes. on the bed okay that's fantastic what about the environment what what sort of environment do we want to make so we need a really warm environment so ideally temperatures of about 25 degrees so it means doing things like closing windows closing doors if you're in an ambulance turning the heating on trying to find a source of heat if you're in the home if you think about the, the baby that's been in a constant temperature of about 37 degrees Delivering in, in even a temperature of 25 degrees is going to feel a lot colder and on top of that the baby is wet so it's going to get cold incredibly quickly. The last thing we want is the baby getting cold. It's, it's the worst thing that could happen to a baby. It's much easier to keep a baby warm than it is to try to warm it if, if the baby's been allowed to get cold in the first place. Okay, so so what I'm hearing is we need to crank that heating up, and if it's a bit uncomfortable for us, that's probably the the right <laughs> the right temperature that we're yeah. we're looking for. Fantastic. Obviously, we we've got this this baby now that's crowning. Mum's in a lot of pain. We're going to offer some pain relief in the form of Entonox. Yeah. What else should we be we looking for, particularly with the crowning and controlling that crowning? Yeah. So with mum using Entonox, what you can do is get her to breathe through the contractions. So she's not actually pushing, 
but the the uterus is actually doing all of the work and what that means is that the birth will happen much slower now ideally having someone with their hand with slight counter pressure on the top of the baby's head is good because what that will do is it will help slow everything down which is much better for the baby what you don't want is this sudden compression and decompression of the baby's head as it delivers and also it's going to be much better in terms of perineal trauma for mums if we can slow everything down so literally just get mum to breathe through the entonox try to apply some counter pressure to the top of the baby's head so that you're literally slowing everything down would be ideal therefore present, uh, preventing that really rapid delivery yeah. yes Fantastic. Yes. Okay. Um, what happens if once the once the head's come out, we, we then see the cord around the neck? That that's changed somewhat now, hasn't it? Well, yes, it has. So we used to say release the cord. We now say if you can deliver the baby without releasing it, then do so. The delivery that I was at last week, the cord was really tight around the neck and we couldn't deliver the baby without releasing it. So if you can re deliver the baby without releasing the cord, great. If you can't, literally, it's just a matter of slipping it over the baby's head. Okay, fantastic. But try to avoid touching it if you can get away with it. Okay. And there's always this thing around panting versus pushing. Just, just tell us a little bit more about that, because I think sometimes that gets a little bit confused. Certainly did with me when I first started uh, in the organisation. So if you can get mum to just literally not push so that the baby delivers itself it's going to be much slower if you've got a mum who's a bit out of control you know she's in a lot of pain she's scared um with those mums sometimes just saying to her like just pan or just bite on the on the entonox um tubing can actually be a way of slowing everything down so all you're trying to do with panting is just slow everything down Okay, so we've we've got the head that's now now come out, and that the baby will be looking down towards mum's bottom. Yeah, mm -hmm. what happens next? Ideally, the baby's head. You'll see the baby's head turn either to the left or to the right, and then mum will get another contraction, a big contraction, and then you'll deliver. So ideally, flat hands either side of baby's ear. And just as mum's pushing, guide baby down in the direction of the birth canal and then up onto her tummy. So really slowly, so that again, there's less chance of tearing and less trauma for baby. And plenty of reassurance, obviously. Lots of encouragement. Yeah. Keeping that environment really warm, stopping that through yeah. traffic coming through, shutting yes. all the doors and windows yeah. Yeah. And, and, and making that environment as, as a little bit perhaps low lit and, and as, yeah. as nice as possible. Yeah. I take it. I mean, if you can have low lighting, that's great. That's ideal. And then once the baby's out, it's really important that you dry that baby off as quickly as possible because the baby has such a big surface area to wait it will lose heat incredibly quickly. 75% of the heat will be lost through the head. So if you can dry the baby off really quickly, put a hat on, put baby skin to skin, so directly skin to skin, not over her clothes, but literally on her chest. 
that will help keep babies warm. It will also help regulate the baby's temperature and then just make sure that baby's covered warmly as well. For every degree below normal that the baby's allowed to get, it will use 10% more oxygen. So the baby's going to become ill incredibly quickly. Babies can't shiver in order to increase their heat production. So they, they break down their brown fat stores. Now, it's a very expensive form of heat for them because what it means is they use glucose, they use oxygen, so they can become hypoxic and hypoglycemic, acidotic really quickly. So, you know, you, you then end up, may well end up with a, a baby that's delivered in quite good condition, but rapidly could become very unwell. Yeah, and I think that's a really important thing to press. But again, through learning from incidents that we've had recently, we've had a, a spate of some cold babies turning up. And I think it's a really important bit to press to to staff around that that really good dry and getting around the, the nape of the neck in between yeah. the buttocks where, where fluid is held, disregarding that wet towel, wrapping them up really well, hat on, straight skin to skin as well, and, and keeping that, that baby particularly raw. I've got one, one little stat here that um, it says, um, and I don't want to scare people, but it just says for one degree below 36 and a half degrees Celsius, the risk of mortality increases by 28%. And that's incredible, isn't it? That, um, that you can have that uh, level of mortality just by yeah. one degree. So I think just by really, really emphasising that point to our, our staff is, is one thing that they really should be aiming to do is to dry that baby and keep them yeah. as warm as possible. Yeah, and it is much easier to keep a baby warm than it is to try to heat a baby that's got cold. One of the things that a few people have asked me to ask you about is you we're talking about the environment and a few people have asked about birthing plans. And again, you know, we, we turn up, we won't know anything about the patients. And uh, some people are concerned about whether about the medical needs of mum and baby versus their their wishes i wonder if you could talk to us about you know obviously we should be respecting the patient's wishes but where and how does that line sort of cross and what are the what are the sort of best tips about supporting mum to make the healthiest decision where it may not be the one that she always wanted if that makes sense i think you have to go with with the situation that you've got at the time you know if mum's birth plan says I want a water birth well that's it's not going to happen so you know with things like skin to skin most mums will have that on their birth plan things like management of the third stage of labour there isn't really going to be much of an option unless the midwife gets there because you don't have the ability to administer an oxytocin so I think it is about trying to do as much as, as you can. In the experience that I've had, I've got 25 years experience. I was a community midwife for 20 years. So a lot of experience with, with paramedics and crews. Mums are just kind of grateful sometimes just to have people there. And and it seems that their, their wishes, things that they would like, actually are less important than having the right people there that they can trust and that they know are going to to look after them. The delivery that I did last week, there wasn't time to discuss what mum had ideally wanted, although when the baby delivered, it was in really good condition. And we were able to say to the dad, is it something that you wanted to do to cut the cord? So when we were ready to cut the cord, we gave them that option and they were delighted because that had been part of their birth plan. 
So it's about what can we manage in the circumstances that we've got, uh, acknowledging totally that, you know what, sometimes what's most important is safe delivery of the baby and a healthy mum at the end of it. So I, th I think that the experience you're talking about, Rose, was you went out and supported a crew, didn't you, an ambulance crew. Just tell us a little bit more about that because it's quite a nice story. So it was fantastic. So the, the dad had called to say, you know, look, we're in a lay-by and the baby's coming and the car's in a mess, which, of course, dads always say, don't they? Oh, my car's in a mess. Actually, I don't care. Your car's in a mess. It will clean. We tried to find a community midwife. There wasn't one. Someone else had got the ambulance crew on the phone. So we knew that ambulances were going, but there was no midwife to go. And when there's no midwife to go, it's, do you know what? It's 10 minutes down the road. There's a midwife over there. There's a grab bag. We're just going to go. And um, so we picked the bag up, went, and the ambulance crew were really, really, they're always so welcoming, always so welcoming. And there were four paramedics there, and, and one of the paramedics was ready to deliver the baby. And I was like, I don't want to take over. Actually, I know that you don't have that much experience of delivering a baby. So I offered to, to do hands-on delivery with him so that we could deliver the baby together which was perfect got into the ambulance and it was absolutely boiling which was great so it was really hot but that was great delivered the baby and the first thing that the the paramedic said to me was would you like a hat and i was really shocked because i didn't realize that that was something that you carried with you which was great and then say so because everything was in you know everything was perfect the baby was in good condition mum wasn't bleeding we gave dad the option when we were ready to cut the cord of whether he'd like to do that and he did which was great and then the the mum wanted to come into hospital which was a was a bit odd but do you know what she was a bit shocked so we brought her into hospital the four crew came in we made them all coffee and sat and did our paperwork and it was just really really nice it was but the crew really were welcoming and because we'd picked up this bag and gone we didn't have all the equipment that we needed but it was great because they had everything and, and were really supportive, you know, for things like I didn't have a needle. So, you know, basics. But um, so the crew were great. They were really supportive and really welcoming for us. But they had actually prepared the ambulance really well for this delivery. Fantastic. That's great to hear. And I think um, you obviously emailed me and I've fed that back to the local management team. So hopefully the crew would have had that uh, feedback directly from yourself, Rose. That's great. So we, we've got this baby out now. So we've obviously we need to know the time of birth because that's really important yes. as well. So note the time of birth. We thoroughly dried the baby. Just talk to me about the skin to skin aspect. What, why is that so important? So skin to skin is really important, A, because it regulates baby's heartbeat. It regulates baby's breathing and it regulates baby's temperature. And obviously, if you're not in the hospital setting, all of those things are really important. It also ensures that the baby is colonised with the mum's friendly bacteria. So the baby is less likely to become infected. It also has really positive benefits for mum. So after birth, we need to think about the hormonal aspects of, of labour and, and mums, which I know we, we don't teach very, very well usually, even with midwives. But it's really important that oxytocin levels are kept high following birth. So oxytocin is the hormone that makes the uterus contract. So after the baby's out, we need to deliver the placenta. So we need contractions to continue to be effective.
We also need the uterus to contract to stop the bleeding for after the placenta has delivered. So again, really important. And skin to skin actually enhances the release of oxytocin. Okay. So particularly in, in the kind of setting that we're talking about where maybe birth has been an emergency. The mums that are frightened will be releasing high amounts of things like beta endorphins, which are released in times of stress or adrenaline, noradrenaline, again, released in times of stress, both of which will inhibit the release of oxytocin. Okay. Now, adrenaline also is found when mums are allowed to get cold. So again, if we can keep the same kind of warmth for mum as we can keep for baby, we can increase oxytocin produ production, which will reduce the amount of bleeding that we're going to get and mean that we get the delivery of the placenta quicker. Fantastic. And, and is that similar for baby to breast as well? Is that the similar types of? Yes, it is. So if, if mum wanted to breastfeed, putting baby onto the chest at the point of delivery will actually stimulate the reflex to help her breathe, uh, to breastfeed. And again, that's oxytocin release. Yeah. Can I just give a word of caution though about skin to skin? Mm -hmm. Because it's such a significant thing that we're seeing happening. There's been a lot of cases, I do a lot of work for HSIB, which is an investigation bureau, yeah. and um, we're seeing a lot of cases of unexpected postnatal collapse of babies. And they've all been related to smothering, unintentional smothering. So if you think about the baby, um, the size of the baby, their necks are very small. It's really easy if their heads are allowed to drop forward to occlude their airway. And of course, the baby has no way of, of holding its head up on its own. So if you've got a mum who's kind of holding the baby quite tight, skin to skin, at chest level, it's really important that we say to that mum, she must always be able to see the baby's face. Right, I think that's a really good, yeah, that's yeah. a really good point to, yeah. to push that. No, absolutely. And I know yeah. that it isn't something we can ask the ambulance crew to do because at that time, there's you've got other things going on. Mm. So if you say to the parents that this is what you need to do and give them the responsibility to help you, then obviously that would be beneficial. Fantastic. Okay, that's great. That's a great tip. Thank you, Rose. And so we've got baby out and we, we've dried, we've got skin to skin, we put baby onto the breast uh, and what have you, and everything's going really well. And then it's the delivery of the placenta. Now that can take that can take quite some time, can't it? can take anything up to an hour. If it's not delivered by an hour, it's probably not going to on its own. Okay. And obviously during that time, there is a risk of bleeding. So trying to maintain kind of oxytocin production is really useful to prevent that. Okay and I just want to talk about cord management for a while because this is really really important <laughs> around the cord management so whilst our JR CALC guidelines still say that we can cut the cord there's been a lot of research around the delay cord cutting hasn't there do you want to just touch upon that for us please Rose? So we know <clears throat> that within when the baby delivers obviously the placenta and the baby the blood flow flows from one to the other, obviously flowing through the placenta to allow for release of nutrient waste products and to bring in oxygen and things. So at any one time, there is between 80 to 100 mils of blood within the placenta, and that's baby's blood. So if you 
deliver the baby and immediately clamp the cord, what you're doing is denying the baby that extra blood flow. Now, that might become an issue if you needed to resuscitate that baby because the baby needs the extra blood pressure in to help open the lungs and to also help close the foramen ovale, which is the hole in the heart that the baby has when it's inside because of the fetal circulation, it's different to the external circulation. Yeah. So if you're reducing the baby's blood volume by up to 30%, significant affectation that you might need to, to do to that baby. There is enough iron in that retained blood within the placenta, 20 to 30 mils, uh, milligrams per kilogram, to keep the baby going for the first three months. So we know that all babies that have delayed cord clamping by, 12, by six months are going to be anemic. So it's a complete disservice to uh, to allow that baby to kind of start life with a lot less blood volume than it actually needs. Also, if you think about resuscitating that baby, you'll reduce, if you're reducing the red blood cells, in the oxygen carrying capacity of the blood as well. So you're going to make resuscitation harder. However, if you then needed to resuscitate the baby, it's, it's a judgment call as to whether can you resuscitate on the bed with mum mm -hmm. or do you need to be able to button clamp the cord in order to be able to take the baby to another area where you are going to provide resuscitation. So in an ideal world, if you don't need to clamp the cord, then it should be left intact. Yeah. And again, there's no real hard evidence about how long it should be left intact for. Some authors will say, well, until it stops pulsating. Others will say two minutes. So as long as the baby's on mum's chest and it's not held particularly low or particularly high, it doesn't matter. So, yeah, and I think that's a really important part. And that's something that certainly has changed within cord management that I'm aware of. You obviously identify the neurodevelopmental benefits, decreased risk of anemia, increased blood volume and increased levels of stem cells as well. So, again, that they're really important factors that around that um, delay cord, cord cutting and, and managing the cord um, mm -hmm. as is. And our maternity action card does, does say that about clamping the cord if they need to. And obviously, remember, uh, it shouldn't be pulsating. It should be a flat and white. So I always use the Starbucks phenomenon, like you want a flat white coffee, <laughs> that's how your call should be, uh, flat and white. <laughs> okay, right, so I think we've probably covered normal birth and that's taken quite a bit of time, but that, that is quite an important part of, um, you know, the, the majority of the deliveries we go to. Let's, let's say that this mum has now delivered the baby, but now is having a, what we would class as a significant bleed, a postpartum hemorrhage. How do we define a postpartum hemorrhage? What what was the definition of a postpartum hemorrhage, Rose? So I would say, so the definition for a normal delivery is 500 mils or more. And that's quite difficult, isn't it? Because I think, because the trouble is with, it's that estimation of blood loss, isn't it? Of fluid that might be on the floor, on the bed, down mum's leg and actually say that's 500 mils i think the yeah. important so it, it's just not possible midwives you know we do this all day every day we know that 
we just don't do this well. So we therefore measure everything. So what I'm suggesting is in the in the ambulance or at home to collect all the all blood stain sheets or the incos and actually just put them in a yellow bag and bring them over to us. We can then weigh them. Now at the end of the day, we've got this kind of subjective figure of, of 500. For 500 mils, for some mums that will be a lot, and you will see that 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 for her, you know, that's a significant amount. And you might have another mum, particularly a mum with a bigger BMI, who could lose 500 mils and not not even notice it. So don't get too hung up about the figure because it's it's more than an amount. It's about the impact that will have on that woman. And so some women will manage that, some women won't. So yeah, don't get too hung up about it. The other thing about blood loss is that doing kind of a visual assessment like you would with anyone who you thought was losing a lot of blood with a mum that's not always very accurate mostly because our our mums tend to be young and healthy and they will compensate 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 for loss of blood and then all of a sudden they'll drop off the end of a cliff so even you know even doing maternal observations isn't often going to give you a really good indicator of what's going on cardiovascularly with that patient. You're absolutely right. Their, their physiology changes and those parameters change, don't they? Uh, the anatomy has obviously changed as well throughout labour. So I think I think that's a really good tip. And I guess it's if if you're worried about it, then treat for postpartum. Is that what, essentially what you're saying? If you're worried, then I would treat. And yeah. literally, so I, there isn't going to be any harm in treating sooner but there might be harm in treating later. So, you know, based on on what you can see happening, if she's trickling and, you know, you can actually see blood trickling, then I would treat sooner rather than later. Because yes. by the time that you do recognise that she's become unstable for one of, uh, for a maternity woman, that's going to be too late. Okay, so if, placent if placenta's out, mum's bleeding, we can do some we can do some fundal massaging, yes. can't we? Yeah. Yeah. So literally just massaging. Well, I think first of all, it, it's important to try and identify where is the bleeding coming from, because if she's had a really quick delivery and she's got a nasty tear, yeah, fundal massage isn't going to stop the bleeding. No, no. What it might be is that you might look, notice that she's got quite a deep tear. And actually, just by putting some pressure on that tear, like you would with any wound, you can stem the bleeding. So try and identify, first of all, where the bleeding's coming from. So the four, t the four T's yeah. effectively of tone, trauma, tissue and thrombin. Yeah. So so yeah. if it's if it's a tear, let's let's get let's get a pad on there and try yeah. and stem the bleeding. Yeah. If, if it's an atonic uterus so a yeah. floppy uterus, then we can start providing yeah. some fundal massaging. Yeah. Yeah. And it's obviously difficult to demonstrate because we're in a podcast, but we have got um, a session on our essential care skills around postpartum hemorrhage. And it, it has a video on fundal massaging. It also gives you a visual chart of blood loss as well which is quite useful which can i just say when you do fundal massage make sure that you give mums entonox yes because it is so painful for them um, otherwise they just won't tolerate it okay and obviously if you can put a line up and also in those circumstances if you could contact delivery suite to let us know that you're coming in with a woman that's bleeding so that we can be prepared and yeah. maybe have some blood on standby just in case 
Absolutely. I think the pre-alert is, is, is key to, to this, obviously. Done some fundal massage and it's still bleeding. We will now escalate to some drugs so we can give, we have it within the organisation, misoprostol as a neutrotronic drug, which we give 800 micrograms and TXA as well. So we can give some IV TXA, one gram of TXA. Uh, and like you say, along with the fluids and the and the pre-alert and the blue light transfer into hospital. Okay. If the placenta is retained, mm-hmm. what are your tips for that? So if she's bleeding, it's about trying to deliver the placenta really. So ask mum whether she can whether if once the placenta has separated, she'll feel it in the vagina. It will feel really heavy, and she may even want to push. So if you can get her upright, sat on the toilet, ideally, then that will give gravity, will help deliver the placenta. And then once the placenta's out, of course, it's much easier to manage. When you get bleeding with the placenta in situ, it's usually because it's partially separated. Now, all the massage in the world is not going to help clamp down a uterus that's got a placenta still stuck inside it. So the important thing is to try and deliver that placenta if you can. Okay, so if, if there's still bleeding, try and deliver the placenta, encourage mum to stand up, encourage mum to push. Obviously still give our misoprostol and TXA if yeah, they're bleeding. Yeah. Touch what? the cord, don't pull on the cord. Don't pull on the cord, yeah. Now, and that's absolutely vital, isn't it? That we yeah. otherwise we can cause all sorts of bleeding, uh, further bleeding and concerns. Uh, what about emptying mum's bladder, getting mum to empty your mm-hmm. bladder? Is yeah. that another option? Yeah, so that's a really good reason for her being on the toilet. Empty the bladder will also help the placenta deliver. Um, putting baby to the breast yeah. will also increase oxytocin production, which is going to give you a contraction, which will then deliver the placenta and also reduce your bleeding. So on the toilet, having a wee, baby to the breast. Fantastic. Brilliant. Okay, right. So we're sort of well into some of the obstetric emergencies now, aren't we? Postpartum hemorrhaging. Shall we move on to call prolapse? We've had several incidents that have been highlighted to the trust around call prolapse. What do you want to say about call prolapse? Because it's a real dire emergency, isn't it? It's a it's a real emergency. It's one of those ones where actually mum just needs to be into hospital as, as quickly as possible. Yeah, it is an emergency. The most important thing about cord prolapse is trying to avoid touching the cord if you can. Now, it's important to try and get it into a a warm place. So if mum can try and put it back in the vagina, that would help keep it warm. But try to avoid touching it as much as possible. The more you touch it, you could cause vasospasm. If you cause vasospasm to the cord, it's not going to work and you've still got a baby inside. The other thing that could cause vasospasm is the cord being cold. So that's why it's really important to touch it as little as possible, but try and put it back somewhere where it can stay warm. Put mum into the appropriate position. So I know that there's a problem with transferring mum's the position that we would like as midwives is head down, bum up in the air so that you're taking pressure off of the cord. Because, of course, anything that's coming through the cervix is going to cause pressure on the cord and that's going to, to stop it working and you've still got the baby inside. So ideally, once mum's in the ambulance, to put her in on left or right lateral, 
her head down if you can hips as high in the air as you can get whilst obviously still managing to have her safely buckled into the into the ambulance with something like a pillow or a blanket in between her knees obviously to try and take pressure off of the cord as well and then just transfer to hospital as quickly as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if we were to review the maternity action card, it shows the position of mum uh, with that pre-arrival advice, either from the midwife or from ourselves with their head down, bottom up position. And it does uh, demonstrate the position that we can safely transport mum on that lateral position with the, the pelvis tilted up, head down and some padding between the legs. I think it's really important as well uh, about that cord management in, in, in keeping that cord as, as as warm and as dry as possible. So we would advocate that if we'd got into that situation, mum's head down, bottom up, pad around the cord, pop a pair of pants on, walk mum out the ambulance, don't carry her down on the carry chair. because We don't want to put compression on that cord, get, a, get the mum into that position in the ambulance, speak to the on-call midwife with that pre-alert into, um, into a maternity unit. No, absolutely. Uh, now there is there is a danger of actually baby being delivered with a cord prolapse as well, isn't there? So there we is. need to be watching out for for that on route as well. Yep, you would. And then obviously be prepared to resuscitate that baby because it's likely going to need resuscitation if it did deliver on route. Okay. Yeah. Although I have to say there's there's probably less chance of that. And the reason for that is because if you've got a cord, it's usually because you've got nothing else in the pelvis and that's allowed the cord to come through. Okay. And on this case, it's encouraged mum not to pass urine, isn't it? We can. Yes. yes. And actually, as midwives, we would probably try and fill the bladder in order to help take pressure off of the cord and prevent anything from going into the pelvis and we we certainly don't want mum on on that supine position being transported on the, the ambulance trolley because that's going to put additional pressure on the cord which is going to have an adverse effect absolutely okay and that rapid blue light transportation with that pre-alert from a pre-alert point of view what what do you want in a pre-alert i mean i, I know the hospital use s-bar quite a lot we use atmistar but I, I believe s-bar is quite a good um pre-alert for for yeah. yourself so yeah yeah, situation, the background assessment and, and recommendation, risk or recommendation, which yeah, which recommendation. Okay, so I think I think that sort of covers cord prolapse and, and and the key things are there around that 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 patient positioning and and the timeliness of that recognition yeah. and getting them into hospital. Yeah. So shall we move on to breach then, Rose? That's yes. Let's move on to breach. Okay, so there's all different types of breach, isn't there? Do you want to just highlight the the different types? <laughs> there are lots of different types of breach just depending on on what's presenting in the pelvis and how babies sit in so some babies sit with their feet down some have got their feet up by their ears some have got their knees up at the end of the day it doesn't really matter a breach is still a breach when it comes to delivery okay so what sort of position do we want mum in for a breach so this is really important that you want mum in all fours position Okay. Again, the room needs to be really warm because this is a baby that's going to deliver by kind of coming through, going to take a little while and all, the, all that while that that body's going to be hanging and it's delivering, it's going to be wet and it's going to get cold really quickly. So the most important thing with a breach is that you don't touch it. So upright breeches now, it's a fairly new way of, of delivering a breech. It used to be that we'd put mum on her back, put her legs up into lithotomy, and we would physically 
undertake manoeuvres to deliver the baby. Whereas we now know that with an upright breech, if left alone, most of them will deliver themselves and quite quickly. Okay. So when the baby's delivering, you always want to see, to, so if you're standing behind mum, you always want to be able to see the baby's tummy. So the baby's facing you, mum's facing away from you. So we've got that to, on our action card as baby's tongue to mum's bum. Is that yep. a good way of remembering that? Absolutely. It is a good way of remembering that. So literally, you're always going to be seeing the baby's tummy um and it's about not touching recognizing when the baby needs help but most of these babies are not going to need help they need help if we intervene and we start kind of trying to to do maneuvers what that will do is it will shock the baby and then you're more likely to have a problem and i guess that's quite difficult is it is that hands off you know because you probably want to feel like you're helping in some way and almost putting hands on baby so i think that's a really good important point to stress that rose because obviously as as healthcare providers we, we just want to help don't we and we, yeah. we want to provide that assistance so i think that's a really really good tip fantastic so don't support the baby allow it to hang remember that hands-off position yeah Absolutely. So you always want the, the so the baby's tummy. And sometimes when you look at these breeches, you think the legs are stuck, the legs aren't going to come out. The legs will always deliver themselves. Yeah. Okay. So the legs aren't anything you need to worry about. Um, when it comes to the arms, so with a when a breech delivers, even without contractions, you should still see descent. The baby should still deliver without contractions. The problems come when you, when the baby's out to the level of the chest. And at that point, you'll see very easily whether this baby's going to deliver or whether it needs help. Once the chest is out, if you can see a cleavage in the baby, so if you imagine pushing your arms forward, that gives you a cleavage. If you can see a cleavage with the baby, which is quite clear to see, that means that everything's in a good position and the baby's going to deliver itself. If you haven't and the skin around the chest is stretched, that means that the arms are stretched back and they will need some help. So literally, it's just about sweeping the baby's arms down across its face, both sides. OK. That's if the baby's good. not in a good position and you can't see the tummy facing you, then what you can do is you can use your hands to turn the baby to face you so that it does stand a chance of continuing to deliver itself. And the way that you do that is by using your hands like a prayer, which is probably what you want to be doing anyway. But <laughs> you imagine holding your hands like a prayer so they're completely flat, either side of the baby, yep, and then literally just turning the baby like so you're not twisting and you're not holding the baby there is no grip your hands are flat against the baby's tummy and the baby's back mm -hmm. and then literally you're then giving the baby the best possible um, option of delivering itself because the head's going to be in the right place fantastic right okay anything more on breach if the head doesn't deliver yeah two fingers 
on the clavicular ridge. So you mm. know that's just yep. below your shoulders and just press. Okay. And if you press on yourself there, kind of your head goes down automatically and that's yep. what you're trying to get baby to do. do that. Yeah. The other thing to remember is that once you've only got the head left inside, contractions will stop. So whilst you've allowed this mom to do what she needs to do, once the, the body's out, she won't have contractions anymore. You will just have to tell her to push. Okay. So she'll be there thinking, I'm going to wait for a contraction because that's what her body's telling her to do. She's not going to have a contraction because there's nothing left in the uterus. So that's a really, really good point yeah. to make as well. About delivering a breach is that um, statistically, babies are much more likely to have a low APGAR score. So they're much more likely to need resuscitation at birth. So, so, prepare, so prepare an area. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Second crew, midwife, if we haven't got a midwife yeah. at that point. Yeah. I'm sure we would have asked for a midwife by that point because we'll all be quite anxious, I'd guess. Um, so, <laughs> so obviously early call for midwife and potentially a second crew there for, because we may have two patients that we're dealing yeah. with. Yeah. Okay. That's a really good point. Fantastic. Should we move on to shoulder dystocia? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So why is that then? So, so shoulder dystocia is where the baby's shoulder is impacted on mum's symphysis pubic bone or if we've got a bigger mum then obviously there are, there's fat and tissue around that the baby just gets stuck on so it's a bony prominence um, problem usually so getting the mum to push really hard is going to make the problem worse Okay. Now, it's, this is really rare in an emergency situation because babies that have shoulder dystocia, one of the things that we can look for as a risk factor is that they're usually slow, very slow delivery of, in the first stage of labour and very slow second stage of labour. So it's unlikely that you would get this in an emergency situation, but of course you can do. Yeah, particularly if it's something like a, perhaps a concealed pregnancy or something along those lines. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I know. I know the management. We'll talk about the management of mm -hmm. uh, shoulder dystocia. I know Prompt do a really good video that I've, I've I've used in some of our training around shoulder dystocia, mm -hmm. and it's it's really good. They talk about the they talk about the bridge analogy, lorry going under the bridge and letting the tires down. So I'll let I'll let our staff go and have a, a research that mm -hmm. themselves. But um, just tell us about the position that we want to get mum into. We want we want to go for the McRoberts position initially, yes. don't we? Yep, you do. So Mac Roberts is, and this goes completely against everything that I said earlier, Mac Roberts is putting mum in a completely, completely flat position. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to um, even out the, the sacral arch. So you want her completely flat on the bed or wherever you are. Mm. And then literally you're going to have two people, one on either leg, bringing her legs up and adducted as close to her ears as you can possibly get. So you, you need people holding that leg back, don't you, yeah, each, each side? Either so side. Yeah. It looks a really uncomfortable position for mum. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, just, be, just before we, we go to McRoberts, um, I perhaps missed out the bit around how do we know it's, a, you know, we, you've said what a shoulder dysphagia is. So so how do we know how many, how many contractions should baby's head be delivered? And there's the bit around... Um, 
I remember around anal dilatation as well, isn't there? Around when babies' heads come in, you may see anal dilatation as well. So does that give us a clue if if not really? No. No. Okay. No. <laughs> no. So if you've got a baby with the head that's delivered with a shoulder dystocia, we, we call it turtling. So what you'll see is the, the, the chin kind of gets stuck inside. So the chin's trying to get out but can't. So the head's going backwards and forwards like a turtle. Right. It can't quite clear its its chin. And then within two contractions, the rest of the body should be delivered. If it hasn't delivered after two contractions, then you you would assume that you've got a shoulder dystocia and go into your manoeuvres. And go into McRoberts, okay. So we've got we've got mum in McRoberts um, mm -hmm. position. So we've got her her legs hyperflexed up um and um does that does that sometimes just help does the baby just come out just within Nine, mac roberts yeah. position 90 percent of babies will deliver in mac roberts right okay so that's quite if you can do that well and quickly then you're going to resolve the there is a likelihood of the situation very quickly because you're opening that pelvic ring it's up. Yeah, opening you're... the pelvis, absolutely. Now, if that doesn't work, the next bit is to put the, the heel of your hand mm -hmm. where you imagine the baby's back would be. So just above the symphysis pubic bone. Mm -hmm. Now, the difficulty is identifying which side the baby's back is on. So there are two things. You can either ask mum because mums will always know these things because the midwife will have said, you know, your baby's head's here and the back's here. Ask the mum, that's one thing. Or the other thing is look at the baby's head and try to work out which way the head is pointing. So obviously if the baby's looking one direction, then you know that the, the back is on the opposite direction. Yeah. So you're going, putting your heel of your hand on this pubic bone at the side where you think the baby's back is <clears throat> and pressing continuously down and across a bit like the maneuvers that you would use with cardiac compression same hands yeah okay pushing down down and forward so you're really trying to push that baby out for about 30 seconds if that doesn't work then you can try rocking so literally just backwards and forwards for another 30 seconds and then with your hands in the same position exactly the same position and cardiac hands yeah if you can't deliver the baby and again you're going to try just some gentle tra traction with your hands around the baby's ears to try and deliver that baby down if you can't get the baby out like that then roll mum onto all fours and that's the analogy with the, the truck tires. You're just yeah. literally trying to drop that baby down. Down, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but the important thing is mum will want to continue pushing because she'll be contracting is to really provide reassurance and stop her from pushing because that will make it worse. Mm. And like you say, this is quite a rare encounter that we'll have. So, but it's not unconceivable that no. it may happen. No. Yeah, no. okay, fantastic.
And obviously, we want to ensure the best outcome, both physiologically and emotionally. And so we need to consider that all of those factors around what we've said around that dignified, keeping mum informed at all times, creating your environment, that reassurance is key throughout all of this, isn't it? Really key, particularly with something like a shoulder dystocia, because with a shoulder dystocia, statistically, you're more likely to get a heavy bleed after. So it's also to be prepared for that, as well as the fact that you might need to resuscitate this baby, you might also end up with a bleed. Okay, so again, another crew in that situation. Fantastic. That's great. We've really ripped through that, haven't we? <laughs> it's been great. Is there anything else that we need to discuss? Jordan, is there anything else from you? So the, the main thing for me, and thank you so much for that, it's been fascinating. While while you've been talking, I've been Googling what you're trying to say and understand it, and uh, I'm terrified that that's, <laughs> that's a very different conversation. I guess the, the thing for, for me, Rose, is that on this podcast, we talk a lot about, about the human factors and ergonomic side of, of safety. We talk with people like Martin Bromley and Stephen Shorrock about uh, what about the clinical human factors side. And for for you, when you're in this situation, what are the tips that you can provide our staff with about how you process a situation like this? What kind of thought process? What are you scanning for, looking out for? How are you, how are you managing your your own internal pressure as well? Because like you say, you've been doing this for 25 years. So what what kind of tips can you provide our staff? trying to think one step ahead so understanding that if you've got a shoulder dystocia you might end up with this um, if you've got a cord prolapse and the baby delivers you might end up with this so it's about trying to think one step ahead it's also about trying to keep the parents involved as much as possible and the other thing particularly in relation to human factors is about trying to avoid becoming task focused. So, you know, on the ambulance, you've got the whiteboard about making use of the whiteboard so that you, you know, you've got a shoulder dystocia. What time did the head deliver? How long have I been doing this for? Because when you are task focused and you lose situational awareness, that's when it can become quite dangerous and it makes it difficult trying to unpick afterwards what's happened so yeah really just trying to think one step ahead but maintaining that situational awareness using kind of writing down as much as possible what you've done what's happened and it's really easy isn't it you deliver the baby everyone's so relieved that you forget to look at the time so it really is just about trying to maintain situational awareness keeping everyone involved trying to think one step ahead and I think as well, Jordan, I think about um, from our staff's point of view is getting that expert help. So that early call for a midwife, um, having that shared decision making model is key. You know, the midwives are experts in, in these fields. But if we're unable to get next, uh, the midwife to scene, let's think about a, a second ambulance or a LOM or some further support. We've also got clinical advice as well. We can also talk to the on-call duty midwife as well. We can fast bleep and speak to the on-call duty midwife. Those sorts of bits are really useful. And the other bit that I want to ask as well about the, the kind of different systems is obviously, you know, both clinical people trying to treat a patient, but I'm sure that there's there's a sort of mix of languages and terminologies. Are, are there any are there a couple of like cheat codes you could provide that maybe our staff can can communicate with midwives that just sync up a little bit better on on scene is there anything that you can provide in terms of working with paramedics which i've done 
a fair bit. I think that from a midwifery perspective, that we understand that the paramedics don't have as much training as perhaps they would like in maternity, certainly not as much as we think they probably should have in maternity. And so I think there is kind of a respect when we get there that there is an understanding that you've called for help and we work as a team. And certainly that was my experience last week. So I don't think it is about communication or language issues because I think everyone's just so glad to see each other. You know, we're in the middle of nowhere. I was really relieved there were four paramedics there, I can't tell you. I was really happy. And, you know, they were really relieved and and happy to see me when I went in. So I think it's just a really good relationship. And and I've not noticed that there have been any communication or language issues in my experience. And occasionally, Jordan, midwives call us as well <laughs> for things like not just the transportation, but obviously sometimes like putting an IV in. Now, most midwives can put an IV in, they're trained, but they very rarely do it. So they may default to us uh, where we do it more often as well. Yeah. And when we want an ambulance, of course, we are so pleased to see you. <laughs> you certainly are. As much as we are pleased to see you when you turn up on scene. <laughs> It's been absolutely great. It's been really superb. I think we've probably come to the end of our our podcast. I just want to say a huge thank you uh, for your expert advice and guidance. I think it's been hugely beneficial and it's been great discussing this and being able to share with our staff in order to benefit patient experience and patient safety. So thank you so much for me and hopefully perhaps we'll produce another podcast in the future. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you both so much. Cheers. Take care.